I'm Mike Vardy. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I have someone who's actually worked directly with David Allen. He's a senior coach with the David Allen Company, Michael Dolan. He's gone off on his own. He's doing a lot of really cool stuff. And it, I love the when I get to talk to somebody that, you know, again, is so aligned with, with what I do. And also, we get to talk a bit about GTD, which as, you know, if you've been following the show for a period of time, you know that I don't do it anymore. I don't follow GTD any longer. And so I, I talked to him about that. I talked to him about Enneagram, which I've really not talked to. And again, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, you know, a lot of really cool meditation comes into play. There's a lot of things that we talk about during this episode. I just want to dive right in and share it with you right away. So here, without further ado, is Michael Dolan, my discussion with him on the Productivityist podcast. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Michael Dolan to the Productivityist podcast. Michael, thanks for joining me this week. Sure, Mike. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. So we had a chance to chat, what was it, a few months ago, and it was a really cool conversation, you know, because anytime you get two guys that are interested in productivity and, and, and uh, together, um, it's, it's we, we should be more efficient with our time, but we get so excited and caught <laughs> up in the fact that there's more like us out there that all of a sudden, like, oh, wait a minute, we've been on the phone for 45 minutes. Um, yeah. So we thought, you know, I mean, you, you said we, we kind of figured let's let's get you on the show and talk about it so other people can hear about it. So why don't you kind of dive into, you know, a bit about who you are, because, you know, I mean, a lot of my listeners won't necessarily know who you are and what your what your focus is in, in the work that you do. Sure. Well, first and foremost, I'm an executive coach. So I help um, people who are leading other human beings in the, uh, in the task of getting something done in the world, usually in some kind of organization. Um, so I do a lot of six to 12 months engagements with leaders working on how they show up as leaders, uh, how present they are as a leader, how, you know, various different topics depending on what their development needs are. Anything ranging from relationship building to strategic thinking to um, uh, being more inspirational and visionary. And sometimes with some leaders, I help with productivity, with workflow coaching. And my, I've been a coach for about 10 years, just over 10 years. And the way I cut my teeth as a coach was actually working 
for David Allen's organization. So the first several years of my coaching life was uh, was being a workflow coach and, and helping folks specifically with with the GTD approach. So nowadays, when I when that kind of presenting issue comes up for a client of mine, I have that in my toolbox and uh, basically um, use mostly what I what what I learned from David Allen when I'm helping them with their workflow. I, I've looked at lots of other productivity approaches or tricks and tips or hacks, uh, but when it comes down to it, that's really uh, you know, GTD is really the inspiration for most of my work when I do that the kind of thing. Um, and often when I'm working with clients, uh, I'll do both kinds of work. Uh, I guess loosely, the workflow coaching to handle the self-management. How do I keep my agreements with myself and others managed in a Loctite way? Uh, we'll do that first to get kind of under control and uh, get some kind of level playing field when it comes to, okay, I can actually have the capacity now to do the deep dive into self-awareness and inquiry about what, what are my behaviors? How is it, is it impacting others? Why are those behaviors happening? You know, having that kind of presence of mind and... Um, kind of inquiry ability uh, depends on having a lot of free space in your psyche. So when I look at truly productive, I mean, one of the things that, I mean, the, the fact you put that right in the front, as opposed to say really productive or very productive, <laughs> like what does that really mean? Like when you, when you talk about the idea of being truly productive, what does that mean to you? And what do you try to, you know, kind of uh, infer or imply with that when you're dealing with your, with your, with your clients? Mm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, I would say, it means doing what really matters and feeling complete about not doing everything else. Right. And then that question of, well, what really matters, you could, you could look at that as, well, I'm looking at my task list and I'm you know, making sure I focus on the stuff that really is important and, and it matters to my higher level goals and vision, etc. But what I see and one perspective I bring to this is um, it comes down to the difference between uh, or I guess I'd introduce a new dis distinction here to talk about this. I have a perspective about kind of human development where it, on one hand you have kind of our personality machine, our ego structure, the, um, the repetitive pattern of the ways we act in the world, the ways we respond, the emotional patterns of feeling that we have, the kind of the story we put ourselves in and inadvertently find ourselves in based on our past, based on our conditioning, based on, uh, to a certain extent, certain um, uh, predispositions we have, you know, you and I both have kids. We can, we know that these two children from the very beginning were very different, even though they didn't have yet a personality. Um, so there's this kind of personality machine, but then there's the other part of us, which is really more like whatever you want to call it, true nature, core, core self, right. essential, essential self. And so when I say doing what really matters, part of that journey, and it's an everlasting journey until you die, I think, is getting clear on 
what part of me is the part that that really matters to? Does that really matter to my, the, the machine of my personality that might be driven by, I don't know, I'll just pick something, driven by being seen as successful or driven by being seen as good and loving or driven by being seen as powerful or strong, mm-hmm. you know? So a lot of the work that I do with my uh, leadership clients is about helping them understand that machine that they're already caught in and becoming more and more aware of those automatic patterns and motivations. Uh, Not necessarily to get rid of them. It's not about transcending those things, but rather about becoming more and more aware of those moments, which happen a thousand times a day, when we're caught in those patterns and just having the choice. Sometimes choosing, yeah, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to do that. And sometimes choosing not. So that's, that's what I mean by truly productive. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, one of the things that you, you talk about is, you know, like you're talking about workflow coaching, which I think is, is, is one of the things that I don't think people focus on enough. They think about just work. You know, they don't think about the flow of work. And mm-hmm. so, but, but that, you, you, you kind of indicate that's not really enough. Like, you know, workflow coaching can only take you so far when it comes to, you know, being truly productive or more fully productive. So what are those things that kind of also you need to have in place so that, when you take on some kind of workflow coaching or, or best practices for, for workflow um, that, that people will be able to kind of say, Oh, okay, this was the missing ingredient or this is the thing that will really take me to the next level. Yeah. I appreciate your question. Uh, well, what this reminds me of is during my initial stint as a workflow coach, when that's, when that's all that I focused on when I was, um, working for David Allen and, and delivering a lot of that one-on-one coaching work, um, I would see that clients would come with a variety of different presenting issues. Of course, mainly something around productivity or levels of stress, or um, they'd have an opportunity to uh, accomplish want to have higher goals and, and um, kind of blow out their what's possible blow out their level of possibility for themselves etc mm-hmm. so they'd come with whatever presenting issues they'd come with and often I'd find that uh, those clients who who even the clients who were complete getting things done rock stars in other words they were just doing the practices that David Allen outlines to the T all the way up and down the horizons of focus. In other words, you know, not just on the action list, but all the way up to a sense of pur- clear sense of purpose and vision, etc. Even those who were really doing those uh, practices, those what I would, I would offer the kind of image of there's kind of a practices and behaviors you do above the waterline, things you do um, that uh, like keeping a list, like doing right. a weekly review, etc. But there's a bunch of stuff that happens below the waterline that those folks, after months and months, would probably have an increase in in some aspect of their presenting issue. But something would often still be going on regarding their presenting issue, aka they're still a freaking human being and they're still getting in their own way in some way that was probably linked to the reason they have that presenting issue in the first place. So, you know, 
doing really solid, clear workflow and having pristine practices around that in a way uh, gives us as human beings the opportunity to see all the more clearly when that machine I talked about is actually getting in the way. Right. Like when we actually are in that, that little millisecond of a moment when we look at that thing on our list and we notice ourselves fall asleep to it or look to the next item, if we can notice that. See, now, now, when we do that, though, I mean, and this is, this is one of the things. We'll get to the GTD stuff in a minute because I definitely want to. And you and I had a brief discussion about this, and anyone who's been following me knows the, that I posted about why I no longer follow GTD. Mm-hmm. And, and I definitely want to talk on, about, on that. But this is where I think that the people get caught up. And you're, you're saying the human comes into the equation. I think that that's a huge thing because what happens is they see the next thing. And then there's that that resistance that tugs in them, right? The 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 um the argument that the self has with the self to say, mm-hmm. you know what, I mm-hmm. this is what I should do now, but you know what, Facebook beckons or email will tell me what to do because you know it's easier, and I'll get that little dopamine hit from that, you know, opening that email and seeing a newsletter and archiving it and saying, look what I just did. So like, how does that? factor in because when you're talking about leadership and you're talking about workflow these things definitely can throw wrenches in the plans right Mm -hmm. yeah well the answer to your question is when you say how how does that play in um the answer is (laughs) in a million different ways and it's it's very very unique to each individual and each individual situation what we can do though as these human beings with these things, these millions of things that get in the way of our intentions is to keep on working at discovering and finding out what is my particular flavor of what gets in my own way. And we each have probably a lot of different flavors. Right. So for example, you know, with some clients, um, they might have a very, very strong uh, inner critic or super ego if you've ever heard mm-hmm. that term. So, yep. you know, that part of us that uh, is, is basically embedded from childhood, from the time when we actually needed our parents to say, you should, you shouldn't, be careful of this, don't do that. Um, you know, the, the part that shoulds ourselves, that we all have, no matter what, it's part of being human. But some of us are more um, strongly <laughs> attacked by that part of ourselves more often. So sometimes, you know, that's one of the flavors I'll work on with clients is learning to identify, articulate, and learning to defend from that part of ourselves so that we can uh, be more uh, operating from the present moment, our actual adult self who has actual adult capacities, who's not a child being said, being told what he should or shouldn't do, who can say, no, I don't need that from you. Thank you. I'm going to make my own choice right now from my full present adult self. So that's like one of the million kind of uh, flavors of how we get in our own way. The rest, I would just put in shorthand and say that we all have uh, patterns of ways that our natural intelligences get scrambled by that thing I mentioned that I call the machine or mm-hmm. the ego structure. Uh, I'm a big fan of of something called the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know of the Enneagram? I've I've heard about it, but um, you're going to be way more qualified to describe <laughs> it than I would. Well, it's it's essentially a 
it's a model of understanding human nature and how human beings can develop, but mostly it's a, the most uh, popular understanding of the Enneagram these days is around the Enneagram of personality. Mm-hmm. And so there are um, nine core, um, core types, if you will. And within each of those nine, there's three variations depending on um, one's instinctual variations. I won't go into the details and try to teach the Enneagram right now, but I'll just kind of shorthand it by saying... And, and, we'll, and we'll put something in the show notes that kind of gives people a bit of a broader perspective on it, I'm sure. Yeah, cool. Um, one way to look at this is there's... When I mentioned the, the personality structure and the ego, the, the machine we were caught in, and then that other side of us, which is our essential self or our core self or true self, whatever you want to call it, the Enneagram is a, I have not found any, any tool or system as powerful as the Enneagram for helping to not just understand what are our preferences and patterns, like what makes up that personality type that we're kind of caught in, but also how to become more and more aware of those things so that we can become more free of those patterns and get, uh, I guess, have more probability that we'll have more experiences operating really truly from our essential self and not from basically the the fear-driven part of ourselves that is our personality. So, when I say that there's different ways that our intelligences get scrambled, uh, you could just simply think about it quite simply as we have we all have kind of head intelligence, thinking, clear thinking. We all have heart intelligence, so emotional intelligence, and we all have body intelligence, the, the kind of intelligence that not so many people know about these days, I think. But that body intelligence is, is it, am I actually aware of what's going on in my physicality right now? Do I feel my feet? Am I aware of my own breathing? Do I feel that little tick of tightness in my chest when my colleague starts to talk about that one subject? And can I catch it in time to start to have more intelligence about it rather than to get whipped up in my uh, kind of unintelligent instinctual reaction? Um, So we all have those different intelligences. And I guess a shorthand for understanding what the nine types are about is nine different ways that those parts of ourselves get scrambled up and confused. And I've actually put the nine, uh, the link in the show notes for the nine different types. And if you, it's right from the Enneagram Institute. So you'll be able to check that out. Now, I want to talk a little bit about GTD because um, I've been a huge follower up until about three years ago. I was, you know, pretty ardent about it. And then there were just some things that didn't work for me anymore. And you are probably, this is probably not the first time you've heard this. And it, won't be the last, I'm sure. But I mean, this, go- and by the way, this goes for any methodology out there. I want to be clear about this, you know, whether yeah. you're using Covey, whatever it is, um, you know, Kanban, all that stuff. It all eventually gets to a point where, you know, some people start to discover what they either, what does work and what doesn't. So when you help clients with, you know, workflow and productivity, you, you do stick pretty closely to the principles you were taught by David, the GTD principles, right? But, mm-hmm. but isn't there, I mean, like any methodology, and David just rewrote the book, right? I mean, he didn't rewrite it, he updated it. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't, like, 
GTD can be considered to be a bit of a, I wouldn't say old, but it, it, I mean, that, that might be the best way to describe it. Like, you know, isn't, hasn't, hasn't things changed enough or haven't they, they altered enough that people, it's, it's not going to necessarily work for them or that it may, I, I'm not going to suggest it's past its prime. I know GTD is very helpful to a lot of people, but w- what are your challenges when you're trying to teach people get the getting things done methodology and they're getting stuck along the way. Is it is it the methodology itself? Is it a combination of the methodology and the individual? Or is it just the individual? Mm. Well, first of all, Mike, I have to admit that I don't know your primary um, arguments with the GTD approach. So I'm gonna, I can answer that blindly. I will tell you them. Uh, I find that there are some... Uh, first off, I think that a lot of what happens with getting things done is that people get stuck at those first two levels, the runway and the 10,000 feet. They don't get much past that. I think contexts can be, while incredibly helpful, um, I think that they are difficult to for people to wrap their heads around because the, it's not the way that we normally operate. And I don't think that the verbiage is friendly enough to make people think that that's a way to work. Uh, and then thirdly... Um, the idea, and this has been stated, I mean, uh, is is that if you don't do all aspects of the getting things done, getting things done methodology, then you're not really doing getting things done. And so I think that that you know the the review I think is is important, but it tends to get you know like the three hours you would spend initially or four hours just setting things up. People are just like, nope, no time. And, and you sixteen and I, hours or sixteen or whatever <laughs> it is. And I mean, you and I both know that that that. You, you know, short-term pain for long-term gain. Absolutely. But I found that there was just too much, um, the, the, uh, I found that it was, uh, perhaps overly rigid, uh, for my tastes. Uh, and that I think that there was some, com- I think that instead of it in some respects being, uh, complex, it was complicated. And, mm-hmm. and so I think that there are some, some, you know, it, it, I, again, the, even personal productivity is what we're talking about here, and I think that that per, when it comes to personal choices, uh, you you eventually figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And I know a lot of people have cobbled different you know types of systems together. So for me, it's the idea of you know that that it tends to focus on, or at least the focus tends to get people into the the, the lower level. You know, that I think somebody I was talking to said they instead of getting off the runway, they spend a lot of time polishing the runway, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. then the idea of contextual work while, you know, groundbreaking in, a lot, in, in many ways is just hard for people to grok. And then finally, the idea of, you know, if you are missing one element of it, then the whole house of cards kind of can tumble down around you and then you're not doing it. And so people just jump back into their old habits. So those would be my 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 misgivings on it after using it for a, a large number of years. You know, I mean, I've talked to David on, on, a, on several occasions yeah. and, you know, I mean, I think that, again, ultimately it boils down to it's not for me. You know, yeah, and, and yes, yeah. I do have my own methodology that I now have. So I'll be upfront about that, that I do have my own methodology that I not only use, but that I'm, I'm teaching others. So there, yeah. I mean, that, that, that could be construed as, well, that's the other reason. But realistically, that I've been using that methodology myself before I even said, hey, look at this method that I have. So, mm-hmm. Well, I think that all of your uh, complaints about, uh, about GTD are pretty darn valid. Uh, the, the way I look at it is that when I'm helping a client with something like this, 
I'm always doing my best to ladder up to just highest principles. Highest principles of what what really is this question about, about their execution of, you know, should I use this contextual list or what whatever. Um, I think if you take the book and all the suggestions in the book very literally, it can occur as quite complicated and, and uh, kind of like, Boy, this is a lot to chew off mm-hmm. and a lot of practices to take on at once and you, all that. You have kind to of read thing. it. You have to read it several times. Every time I read Getting Things Done, I took something else away from it. And the problem the thing is getting through it the first time for a lot of people is tough. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot there. But I will argue that the the overall framework, or I, I'll just put it this way, the overall answer to the question of gosh, I am a knowledge worker. I always have more to do than time to do it in. So what do I do about that? Mm-hmm. The higher level answer of that, which basically is, you know, don't keep it in your head, decide about it, put, it, put those decisions clearly outside of yourself and keep that external system kind of up and running and clean and make sure that it's aligned with what matters to you. That, you can't argue with that. But I do, I, I try to give my clients as much flexibility as possible in terms of how to execute on those principles. Yeah, because because lists terrify people. Too many lists terrify people. I found in my in my they because they they feel that it's extra stuff to manage. I know it's segmented. I know. I mean, most people keep stuff in their head. That's the biggest thing that that getting things done. I think is done for so many knowledge workers. Pe- people. Period. Is yeah. that the the idea of get it out of your head? Your mind is not meant to hold all that. Mind like water. Like that yeah. is such a huge component of it. But then when you tell people, well, here's your list of contacts and here's your list of projects and what's the next action, most people, again, they get stuck on that, you know, like, well, what, why are you doing this action in the first place? They never, they, it's, uh, it's harder for them to get to that ultimate answer of, okay, well, is this really the next action? Do you know what I mean? I think that that's the, that's a, a very tricky part for a lot of people. You to, mean, should I even be committing to doing this? Yes, yeah. yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, you're say, you're pointing to that that syndrome of well, if our if our lens is really focused on this question of action, 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 right now, yes or no, what's the action? That we can inadvertently forget that we have a no, and that we are actually in control of our agreements, and that there are things at a higher level that we need to answer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's the, I mean, I have a, you know, I, I, there are people I know that have said, you know, I'm stuck in this situation. I'm like, are you really stuck in the situation? <laughs> like, and, right. and, and things like getting things done method. If you use a productivity methodology, whether it's getting things done, Covey, you know, whatever methodology you use, if you use them with the higher intention in mind, and then you use that methodology to pay attention to making sure that that thing happens. You will get results, right? I mean, if you don't want, if you want to spend more time with your family, but your job takes you away from that, but you can't see a way out of it. If you make slow, measured progress, and that's another great thing that getting things done suggests is that, I mean, you every task needs to be broken down until it's a task, you know. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, you know, when you talk to somebody about the task management and they say i'm going to go buy groceries and, and then you, you know the getting things done definition is like well that's a that's a project like what do you mean it's a project well technically it's a project well, <laughs> no no but if, as long as if, it's if, not if, something that you know yeah, they already if, have if, if you want to be reductive it's a project right yeah, like you could yeah. totally but i mean so it's so is driving a car but i mean ultimately 
it's it's for the thing that's new. It's a project. So if you're like, I'm going to, you know, uh, make a fence, build a fence. The first time you do that fence, you're probably going to have more steps involved because you're going to need to know you've never done it before. And then the second time, maybe you've com- maybe you know you've combined some of those steps because they're easier to wrap your head around and you don't have to think about it as much. Um, the problem with any uh, with productivity in general, and I think that this really flows in nicely to workflow and leadership, is that we. We try to move too fast and we try to move we, – we, a lot of people equate productivity with speed sure, and yeah. speed alone. And that's the – I mean that's the problem is we live in this culture of speed where if we get things done as quickly as possible, then we're productive. And that's not the case, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking about what you said about the contextual lists and people hating lists in general. And you know, I will still say that – no matter what what different lists you end up creating, I mean, whether they're contextual or just one big, huge, hairy list or, or what, the process of uh, a, a person becoming aware of how much they've committed to themselves or others and becoming aware of just how, the volume of that, well... It's not necessarily the huge volume, but so many people end up in that category of, I've just got way too much stuff going on in my life and mm-hmm. my work. So, you know, however you want to look at it or construct this, the ongoing system, the value of that shock point of seeing how yes. much is there is priceless. You end up managing the lists and leading your team instead of well, managing your team because you can see you can see it. It's clearer, and then you get to make informed decisions behind it as opposed yes. to just going, okay, well, what's next? Because then the shiniest, loudest thing will be the thing that draws your attention. Yeah, no, I, I see your point. I see your point. I, I think uh, it seems to me we both appreciate the higher principles. It's about the execution. Yeah. Of it. That really gets in the way, and I, I, you know, I can see that. I think the world has changed. The way the world has changed since David wrote the book in two thousand one, uh, <laughs> you know, shortly after I met him when I was a client, um, is mostly from my point of view. Just about volume. Mm. It's about electronic communication and volume. You know, email and text messages and every other form of that. And so. From my point of view, the way I still hold this is that the principles are all still the same. It's about what agreements do you make with yourself and others about all those sources of all that input. You know, uh, do you still agree with yourself to be in that job where you get 300 emails a day and you have a packed schedule and you're expected to get everything done, or do you renegotiate with yourself or your boss or your team or reorganize your team? You know, that uh, that's what's changed is the the volume and pace, just like you're yeah. pointing to. And I don't think that necessarily, I think that throwing out GTD is like throwing out the baby with the bathwater. It, but it's a, it's a, the volume is just an aspect of what's going on. Um, but it's an important aspect to deal with. And I don't necessarily have all the answers for every client immediately. It's about working through it and finding out what's right for you. And it's the same thing. Every system has flaws. You know, the Covey matrix, which again was, and it, 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 you know, I mean, every system was born of other systems. You know, Covey matrix was the Eisenhower matrix. The Tickler file was patented eons before, (laughs) years before, you know, getting things done came along. But there's, there's patent flaws inside of the Covey matrix too, because you're, you know, there's no, the date, the, the ability to contextualize, I mean, you're going to end up with a ton of quadrants, right? Like, so I think that, I mean, the problem is, is people, they, they, 
they look at everything with um, one lens. You know, they're like, this is my life and here's everything. Instead of instead of looking at it like, you know, I mean, it's like being outside of a house and looking at the house going, well, there's my house. As opposed to being inside the house and going, oh, look, here's one room with this piece. Like, you know, that's what a lot of people get stuck with is they get stuck at the at the just like you said, the volume. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to take the time to go through all of it to see if and if what matters, like what mm-hmm. really does matter. And the again, I think it's it's not just volume of information, but volume of demand. You know, yeah. the, because there's we're we're so much more accessible than we've ever been before. I mean, yeah, for me, I agree. nothing terrifies me more um, in terms of my productivity than the day where you can take phone calls on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And that internet is free on the airplane, and from that point on, you are accessible pretty much I anywhere. I heard something about was it was there somebody just threatened yep. to do that? Yep. Yeah, and oh, I'm yeah, like, yeah, why? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be sit. A, I don't want to be sitting next to anybody that's talking on their phone. That that is just yeah. you know, it's it's. I mean, it's not like a bus where you can get up and move, or a train and you can get up and move. Like if you're on a plane, you're on a plane. Like you yeah. can't really do anything. And well, so- what I'm what I'm really fascinated with uh, is, and I think you would be too. Like, what does the future look like mm-hmm. in, in terms of emails and is Slack something like Slack going to change things? I don't think it, so. I don't think – I think – because again, we're already seeing it with Slack. I mean people are – Slack is great with intention. If you just – you know, it's like getting a tool like Evernote. And we'll, I want to talk to you about tools. If Patreon listeners are going to hear what we talk about when it comes to tools. But you know, a tool like Evernote I – and mean, people go, wow, if I get Evernote, I'm going to be so much more productive because everything will be organized. And that is <laughs> – that's not true. <laughs> if you don't – you know, the approach is always more important than the app. No, no matter which approach you go with, if you have an approach and you you cultivate that throughout all of your, your tools and the environment that you work in, then you're going to be so much better off because apps come and go. I mean, getting things done has been around for years Covey matrix has been around for years. Like all of these methodologies that have stood the test of time, there is a reason that they've stood the test of time. Right. You know, there's a reason that people use their calendar in in a way that, you know, makes David Allen cringe, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there's also a reason that people use a calendar the way that David Allen, you know, and, and I'm one of them. I use, you know, and I mean, obviously, and I'm, I don't know if you do this, and maybe you can, before we move into the next thing, because I want to talk a bit about meditation too, mm. is the idea of, like I have hacked the idea of using your calendar that the agreements don't just have to be with others. The agreement can be with yourself. So if yeah, you say, so- hey, you know what? I agree to meet with myself from the, the weekly review in getting things done terminology. It would be one of the classic examples of making an agreement with yourself that goes in your calendar for a date specific time. Yeah. Right. But so many people, and this is the, uh, I think this is another big uh, consideration, is they, like you said about when they read the book and they, they read it like it's, it's the Bible. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, this is the way it is. If you read the Bible literally, um, then you will interpret it completely differently than if someone who reads it contextually. Yeah. And so if you read the Bible and the, the getting things done uh, book and it says date specific appointments, you're like, okay, well, I guess that's with others. That's not what he's saying, but he, but he's giving you a framework and there is some wiggle room within that framework. But the problem is for a lot of people is that they don't, they, 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 like you said, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, I love the con- the contextual versus uh, literal uh, distinction you're drawing because I think that's that's definitely the way that I hold it, and I try to encourage the folks I work with to hold it. It's it's really not about some black and white uh, schema as much as it is uh, 
principles there to help you manage yourself in whatever way that you can best manage yourself to get, again, to get what really matters done and to feel complete about what's not on that list or in that place. All he has to do is change it to getting the right things done instead of getting things done, and then we're all back. <laughs> so let's talk about so the people who are trying to trying to um, you know develop a stronger workflow, be more connected with that kind of stuff. Meditation plays a huge role in that. I, I meditate. Um, I use an app called Headspace to do that, although I've been thinking about getting the Muse because uh, a doctor friend of mine has it, and he says it's phenomenal. Is that the device? The yes, it is. It is. It is. It's like, th- I think it's $300. Um, so I have to consider, and again, I think that that's an important consideration too, is people will say, well, I'll get Headspace, which I think is $10 a month. Uh, if I buy Muse, then it's a one-time fee. But anyway, what does meditation have to do with GTD? Well, uh First of all, from a broader perspective, uh, I, I've been a meditator for about 10 years. And my, um, the way I look at that practice is that it's a way to just continually cultivate presence, can cultivate uh, greater awareness of ourselves, catching ourselves in those moments when we're caught in that machine or not, and potentially um, cultivate uh, presence with parts of ourselves that we aren't that familiar with that go way beyond the personality. Um, So the way I look at meditation and GTD, and I I saw this when I was first um, developing uh, myself as a coach, when I was first doing workflow coaching, and that is if, so for all you meditators out there, when you are, and it might not even matter what style of meditation we're talking about, but when you're in this, the, the, the moment of sitting in meditation, let's say you're focusing on your breath and you are doing, the, the practice is to notice when your attention goes to something else other than what you're intending to focus on, in this case, your breath. Mm-hmm. And notice that thing, that's the first step. The second step, in a way, is to see it for what it is. And in my experience, when I, I can't speak to your experience, but when it, in my experience, when I see that recurring thought or that emotion or that tension or that whatever that I've been focused on for the last 12 minutes and didn't realize yet, when I see that and I can really see it for what it is and gently pull my attention back to my breath, in a way, I am clearly naming what that thing means to me. You hear the, the, the parallels to processing, collecting and processing in the GTD? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So I'm, I'm making it clear what that thing means to me. Oh, that's just a passing thing. It's just like every other passing thing. It doesn't matter right now. I'm not doing that. I'm practicing meditation. Back to my breath. So in those moments when you basically call a spade a spade, you get free of that thing and you're able to be more present. Just like you're looking at a pile of emails and you're processing them, you're you know, taking them out of your inbox if you do that, or whatever. You're deciding, what do I do about this? What does this mean to me? Is this garbage? Is this reference? What's the action? Oh, this is the action. Bam. Mm-hmm. As soon as you close that loop, 
there's a similar, in, at least in my experience, there's a similar kind of freedom you're creating because you're closing the loop about what that thing really means to you. The only difference is, and at least this is the way I, I look at it, when you're meditating, you're not necessarily um, creating the meaning, you're remembering the fact that it means nothing. When you're processing and, and naming actions or throwing things in the garbage and deciding about them like that, you are creating the meaning. You are saying, you are the creator of meaning for that thing. That's the only difference. But the, the resultant sense of presence and clarity is, in my experience, very similar to that moment in meditation when I come, when I, the millisecond I'm able to come back to my breath because I've seen something for what it is and let it go. Michael, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you online uh, so that we can uh, make sure they come and check out what you're doing at Truly Productive? Well, you can find me at trulyproductive.com, which is my website. And you can feel free to email me at michael at trulyproductive.com if you ever have any questions or want to connect. Awesome. Thanks again for joining me this week. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. Thank you to Michael Dolan for joining me this week on the show. You can find out all about him through the show notes, which accompany this podcast, as well as that are on the blog post at the Productivityist website. Now, if you want to get even more out of the podcast experience, whether it's through exclusive content that is only available to patrons, or whether it's just additional content that you would have gotten with this episode, because there is more to it than just what you know you heard on this edition of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash productivityist and you can support the show for as little as one one dollar a month there are perks available for uh you to check out and i really hope you give that a a a good look and a, a strong consideration because it just helps make the show better and better and i put the money back into the show and uh, make it the best experience possible for all of you out there. Now, if you aren't able to do that, another way you can support the show is to offer a rating and review in iTunes. And I would love to get that happening because the more people to find out about the show, the more listeners we have. And, and that just really helps me get the feedback that I need so that I can make the show better for you each and every week. Thanks to John Polster for producing the show. As usual, he has done a fantastic job. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week with another shiny new episode for all of you. But until then, I am Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivityist podcast, founder of Productivityist, productivity strategist, reminding you to stop guessing and start building.